morning and Merry Christmas to everyone. I'm so excited about uh, this Christmas season and today, Christmas Eve day. I uh, hope that you'll come back. I know one of the nice things about having Christmas and or Christmas Eve on a weekend is it gives you a little more time, you know, to do some things that might need to you might need to do today. Um, but it seems like the more time we have, the busier we get. So we hope that you'll carve out a little bit of time for us this afternoon. Come back and worship with us. We'd love for you to be here at five o'clock. Or 6.30 p.m. tonight, we're going to celebrate uh, Christmas Eve with a candlelight service tonight. Uh, we're going to have uh, cookies and coffee and cocoa, I believe. And so I've already kind of started. I had cookies, Christmas cookies for breakfast this morning. So uh, I'm, I pre-gamed a little bit, so I'm kind of getting ready. Um, uh, but I hope, we hope that you will come and, and bring somebody with you, and uh, hopefully they will enjoy the time with us. Uh, I also want to say, I don't know if my cousin Katie and her husband Dean are watching, but they had uh, their, their first children this week, Friday. Congratulations on the birth of their twin girls, uh, Emma and Caroline, down in Baton Rouge area, Louisiana. So if they're watching, um, a lot of times they do, and I think they're probably still at the hospital, so I'm excited for them. Brings back a lot of memories for this guy. Um, almost 20 years ago, we had two little girls born, so we're excited for them. You know, um, when I was a toddler, uh, my parents would make me wear something kind of dressy for church. Were your parents that way? Like, let's get a little bit dressed up uh, for church uh, this morning. Let's uh, do things. And, and I see some of you dressed up a little bit today, um, and we do that at different times of the year. Uh, Mike, where's Mike Thorsby? Mike, stand up for us. I mean, we don't... We don't necessarily think you should go quite that far, but you know, if you want to, if you want to dress, that's right. Don't encourage you. If you want to dress up a little bit, it's a good thing. And uh, but my my dad was a coach. Like that's all he wanted to do. He's a teacher and a coach, and he really uh, was into obviously sports. So every once in a while, my parents would dress me. I had a lot of sports clothing as a toddler. So my mom would put me in a, or maybe if it was dad's turn to dress me, I don't know how that worked. Uh, but I would go to church in a jersey, like an NFL or some sort of football jersey. And so the ladies in my home church told my mom later, after I was grown, that on those Sundays when I wore a football jersey uh, to church, I would run around the nursery and tackle all the other kids, you know, <laughs> like J.J., T.J. Watton, people, you know, like running people down from behind and sacking them. And so I don't think they wanted me to get in trouble. So they didn't tell her until I was grown. But as I got older, my parents would insist that I dress up for church, especially Sunday mornings. Now, I grew up in a time, and maybe some of you did, where what you wore to church was important. And not so much, uh, you know, some churches turn into a fashion show. That's not what I mean. But it was more of a, uh, my parents' and my grandparents' generation, it was important that you look and wear your best, right, uh, when you went to church for worship. And I can remember, I literally remember preachers saying that, we should bring our best, right, when we go to worship. And um, somehow there was a connection between what we wore and our hearts and our very best. Uh, the first job I took when I graduated from Bible college was in Hampton, Virginia. It's a very military full. Um, there's an Air Force base there, Langley Air Force Base. There is a lot of Navy over on the south side of Virginia in that same area in Hampton Roads. There's an Army base up in Fort Eustis. So when I got there, it was important to a lot of the leaders who were kind of my parents' age, but were also retired military, uh, and, and what you wore was kind of a big deal. And so for them, it was more about respect, 
right? There was a certain thing that they had learned that had been ingrained in them in the military. And I remember one of the elders there at the church took me shopping, and he and his wife bought me a few jackets and ties, and uh, I wore those to church. I, I didn't really mind dressing up. I, I just never made the clear connection between what I wore and my heart for God. Uh, to me and to most of my generation, it, wasn't, it just wasn't that important. It's just not that it, 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 it's fine if that's what some folks want to do. It certainly was important to my parents and to their generation. I remember one weekend before Two Rivers started, our family was in Greenville, North Carolina. We had moved here, but the church had not started yet. And we were visiting different churches. And one afternoon, on a Sunday afternoon, we uh, had gone to lunch with some folks from a church over in Greenville. And we stopped and did some shopping. I don't remember if it was TJ Maxx or Ross or something like that. And I was looking at some golf shirts and some button-down shirts. And I said to Bonnie, maybe I should get in the habit of dressing up a little differently or dressing up a little more now that I'm going to be the preacher. And she said something to me that I've never forgotten and I think was profound. She said, I think you should just be yourself. And that was great advice, not just for my wardrobe, right, but in life. So I've kind of been in the habit of wearing what I'm most comfortable in when I come to church and even when I preach. I'm a kind of a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. Today was a little chilly, so I put on a, a, a sweatshirt. Um, to me, that's, I'm not really making a statement. It's just what I'm comfortable in. But I've had sometimes people introduce me to their friends, maybe here at church, or uh, maybe if I see somebody when I'm out and about, and they say, hey, this is my preacher. This is what he looks like on Sundays. This is what he preaches in, you know? <laughs> and I think it's kind of become a little bit of my reputation, right? It's, it's what I'm known for. It's, what, it's kind of what people have come to expect. Oh, you're the preacher that wears jeans and a t-shirt. And it's not, it's not nearly as big a deal as it was 20 years ago. Um, and I guess that's okay. But to be honest, I'd rather be known not by what I wear, but by who I am. You see, character is who you are. Reputation is who people think you are. So which is more important, who you are or who people think you are? More than any other time in history, I think people are known today by their reputations and not their character. Let me give you a couple examples. It used to be that we would find out about products for sale through advertising. And then all of a sudden, you started seeing product placement in TV shows or on movies. Uh, all of a sudden, you'd see somebody drinking a Coca-Cola, or you'd see, uh, remember this one? There was a certain show, I think it was, I think it was ER. There was always a gateway um, computer box that looked like a cow. Is that the right show? I don't remember. But you'd see these things in certain TV shows, and, and you call that product placement. And that would influence us to buy those products just by seeing them. These days, there are people we call influencers who are paid to promote certain things. They are paid to create a persona that is appealing to the public so they can promote certain products. And we know this, yet we still let them influence us to buy certain products. Let me give you another example. Did you know, I know this is going to be a shock to you, that 2024 is an election year. Are you guys excited about that? Are we all getting amped up for that? Public figures like politicians spend millions of dollars hiring publicists and public relations experts to curate their public images and reputations. Now, none of us are dumb enough to believe all of that, right? We don't necessarily buy in. We know that they're selling us something, but it's really all we have to go on. 
We're fed a calculated amount of information that creates an image or reputation of someone. And it begs the question, which is more important? Someone's character or simply their reputation? See, I think character is who we are. But reputation is who people think that we are. Over the last few weeks, we've been searching through the genealogy of Jesus. And what we've discovered is that there are some unlikely people in Jesus' family tree. But as we've searched a little deeper, we, we found that beneath the surface of these unusual suspects, there was more than we expected. For instance, Ruth, the foreign daughter-in-law of Naomi, is more than just a Moabite woman. She's a loyal friend. She's a companion and caregiver to her mother-in-law. Rahab, the prostitute, right? We could stop right there. That was her reputation from Jericho. But she's more than she seems. Her faith is honored in the book of Hebrews because she protected the spies of Israel and gave Israel the upper hand in the first battle to take place in the promised land. Even Bathsheba, who got caught up in King David's mess, was eventually restored and the promise to her was fulfilled through her son, Solomon. Each of these women overcame their reputations, right, by living out their character rather than being driven by what others thought about them. This morning, I want to talk about another member of Jesus' family tree. He's not a blood relative, but he was the, Jesus' earthly father, a carpenter named Joseph. The first chapter of the book of Matthew is designed to answer two questions, or to answer one question, but there's two answers. The question is, who is Jesus? And there are two answers. The first answer is given in verses 1 through 17. That is the genealogy. He is the son of David. Throughout the Old Testament prophecies, the Bible predicts that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. Matthew chapter 1 connects those dots all the way to Joseph and Mary and Jesus being born. The genealogy traces the family tree of Jesus back to King David and then all the way back to Abraham. Let's pick up the story of Joseph in verse 18. Matthew reads, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So Joseph and Mary are engaged to be married, and Joseph finds out that his fiancée, Mary, is pregnant. He also knows that this is not his child. So in this ancient culture, an engagement was more binding than it is now. Like today, if you break up with your fiancée, you just change your social media status and move on, right? But in ancient Israel, it was a legal and binding contract. There would have to be a divorce even from the engagement. So Joseph had to make a decision. Look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So it would have been well within Joseph's rights, according to the Old Testament law, to break the engagement contract and to move on. And basically, Mary would have to then kind of uh, fend for herself, right? Everyone would have fully understood why he would make that decision. And if they didn't get it right away, they would, it would only take about nine months before they would figure it out, right? Something happened here. But God intervenes. 
says, after he had considered this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You ever had one of those dreams that just felt <laughs> real? You know, like you wake up and, and if it's a good dream, you're like, you can remember the whole thing. And, and even though it doesn't make any sense, it was like, it was completely real. When I, when I have dreams like that, it's almost always scary, more of a nightmare than a dream. And I always, I wake my wife Bonnie up and tell her, hey, I had a bad dream. She's like, okay, good for you. And you're like, just go back to sleep, right? <laughs> but this must have been the most realistic dream that Joseph had ever had. Because he didn't wake up and think, oh, I just had a dream. Something must have completely convinced him that this dream was more than a dream because to his credit, he was convinced. That dream went on to say, verse 21, she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the second answer to the question, who is Jesus, is answered here. Jesus is going to be the Messiah. Right? He's the chosen one, the long-awaited uh, one who would come through the line of David. He would be the Messiah. So not only did Mary not cheat on Joseph, but this child is special. The child is the chosen one. He is the Messiah. Look at verses 22 and 23. It said, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Isaiah, the prophet, had predicted this. Isaiah 7, 14 says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will, and will call him Emmanuel. So Joseph, a devout Jew, must have known the, the prophecy, and he believed the angel in this dream. This is the sign that Israel has been looking for. Mary had not been unfaithful. The child she was carrying was the long-awaited Messiah. It says in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph believed God. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He no longer questioned Mary. Instead, he took her home to be his wife. Joseph believed God. He did not then consummate their marriage until after the baby was born. Joseph believed God. And he gave the baby the name Jesus. What would you have done? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes, sandals. Remember, character is who you are. Reputation is who people think you are. See, I think it would be hard not to think about what others might think. What is the community going to say? What are my parents going to say? What are Mary's parents going to say? What are the Jewish officials going to say? I think it would be hard not to worry about your own reputation, but I see the character of Joseph. Right? The true essence of who he was revealed in this passage. He didn't worry about his reputation, did he? He lived by his character. And I think verse 19, now this is before the dream. I think 19 gives us a clue 
into understanding not only Joseph, but this whole passage. Let's go back. Let me pull out three quick things this morning as we think about the character of Joseph. It says in verse 19, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. See, I think character, especially Christian character, right, is developed through faith. Faith is um, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, right? Stepping out in faith when we don't know where the next step is. Stepping out in faith and knowing we don't know where the next, uh, what the, where God's leading us exactly, right? So character is developed by taking those steps of faith. The content of, jo- of who Joseph was had been developed through his faith. The text says that he was faithful to the law. It was God's word that was the the north star for his life up to this point. So when Mary revealed to him that she was pregnant, his reaction was not to do what the, his reaction was to do what the law said, right? Joseph's character had been developed through years of being devoted to God's word and and God's ways. So from the very, very beginning of the story, Joseph trusted God. Even though to start with, he was heading in a direction he didn't like, He was going to trust God's word. He was going to trust what he knew, which was the law. When he was faced with a crisis, he chose God's ways over man's ways. That was his character. The text says that Joseph was faithful to the law, which means that he was in the habit of trusting God and trusting God's ways. N.T. Wright wrote, virtue or goodness is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something that is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally. And then on the thousand and first time when when it really matters, they find what they do, they find that they do what's required automatically. we're, We're not virtuous. We're not good automatically. It takes time and effort. It takes devotion to God's ways. It takes faith, doesn't it? Right goes on to say, virtue is what happens when wise and courageous choices become second nature. When we continually follow God and his ways and his word, then we can be good, not because of our own goodness, but because of, first of all, imputed goodness from Christ, right, to us, Nothing we can do to earn God's grace. But as we learn and grow as Christians, we become more virtuous. We we become more good when wise and courageous choices become second nature. The Apostle Paul said it this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, we have to be in the habit of living by faith, and that grows godly Christian character in us. If you practice the things and the ways of God, it will develop your faith, and your faith will become your go-to. It will become second nature in all situations, and that's what I see in Joseph's character. Because he was faithful to God When God came to him with some extraordinary news, he listened, he believed, and he continued to be faithful. With this new information from God, he continued to just simply follow God's leading. Look at the second thing I see here in verse 19. It says, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public 
his grace. See, God wants to grow your faith, not necessarily your feelings. I appreciate that Joseph was concerned about Mary in the story, right? He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace or humiliation. I just think Joseph was a good guy. I think, he, I think he loved Mary. I think he had a heart for her and found in this difficult situation, he says, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to divorce her, but I don't want to expose her to public disgrace. Remember, at this point, Joseph assumes that Mary has been unfaithful. Again, Joseph was someone who was faithful to the law, which required celibacy until the marriage ceremony had happened. Even if you're engaged in this ancient culture, which had more uh, of a contract, um, there was still a time of celibacy until you're married. And because Joseph was a devout follower of the law, I believe that he and Mary were waiting as the law required. So when Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, he knows that this is not his child. So he assumes that Mary has been unfaithful. There's really no other conclusion until God speaks to him. Yet he doesn't want to make a spectacle of her. He's kind of tender, isn't he? He's kind of looking out for her. And he probably didn't want himself to be exposed either, right? This is a bit embarrassing, humiliating for him as well. So he had in mind to divorce Mary quietly. But that wasn't exactly God's plan. By agreeing to God's plan... There may have been some questions from the community, from the parents, from the teachers of the law. There were probably some plans that had to be changed. But I think God is more concerned about Joseph's faith than he is Joseph's feelings. I appreciate that Joseph has a good heart. I believe that's why God chose him. He didn't want to humiliate Mary, but Joseph's feelings were not more important than his faith. Take this step, God says. Follow me into this. I won't let you down. Oswald Chambers says the expression of Christian character is not good doing, but God-likeness. If the Spirit of God has transformed you within, you will exhibit divine characteristics in your life, not good human characteristics. God's life is, God's life in us expresses itself as God's life, not as a human trying to be godly. Like, that's, that's pretty powerful. We do a lot in our lives, even as Christians, to conform to what it looks like to be good as a human instead of allowing God to work through us to make us more like him. It's not doing good. It's God-likeness that is the gold standard. So it's not enough that Joseph was a good man. He, he was a godly man. He chose faith over his feelings. You ever seen a child get their feelings hurt? You know what I mean? Like when our girls were little, they, they were good girls. They were, they were good kids. They, they were not a lot of trouble. Actually, they're still great young ladies now, and they're not kids anymore. But every once in a while, we would have to correct them. And I remember saying to Bonnie, that correction or that discipline, that hurt their feelings, didn't it? But what we knew as parents is that we were more concerned about the character we were building and less about that momentary hurt feelings in them. We weren't intentionally trying to hurt their feelings, but if that happened so that we could help develop their character, we were still okay with that. And I believe that's what God's doing in us and through us. Sometimes we might get our feelings hurt. 
because we're not living up to the character of God, that being just as good as we can be, right, isn't good enough. And God will help us in that way. Finally, the last part of this verse says that, God, uh, that Joseph did not want to expose her to public disgrace, but he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, God is concerned more about your character than he is your comfort. It would have been much easier for Joseph if he had chosen to divorce Mary quietly. Right? He would have moved on and saved his reputation, but that wasn't God's plan. God had been planning for this for generations, as we've been talking about for the whole month of December. God was calling Joseph to character, not comfort. The same is true for us. Rick Warren wrote, God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not comfort, but character development. He wants you to grow spiritually and to become like Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Even when it's not comfortable, God's going to see things through. Sometimes the road ahead may be hard. Sometimes it may look like a better path to go the conventional way, right? The comfortable way. God says, trust me. What I started in you, I'm going to carry it on to completion. Because God has not called us to comfort. He's called us to faith, and our faith grows our character. I wonder if on that journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, I wonder if Joseph thought about all of these things. Like, it had been kind of a whirlwind, I think. I don't know exactly the timing. Some really smart Bible scholars can tell you how long it was before from Joseph finding out until they went to Nazareth, or from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But I think he had a lot to think about. You know how it is when you're on a road trip with your spouse? You realize it's been an hour since anybody said anything? You ever had that? You think Joseph was replaying this in his head? Wondering how things might have been if he had chosen his way instead of God's way. I'm glad that Joseph chose character over reputation. The cool thing is now looking back, Joseph's reputation, what we think of him and his character, who he really was, are now one and the same, aren't they? We see the man for who he was. In the moment, it, it, might have been, um, it might have set off some warning bells in the community or with his family or Mary's family. But now we look back at this man of faith who chose character over comfort, who chose faith over his own feelings. May we all be like Joseph, full of faith, allowing God to mold our character each and every day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And Father, we're just thankful for the life of Joseph. But we know that Joseph was simply the uh, earthly father of Jesus, the Messiah. But what an important role he played. What an important example he is of character. What a beautiful family God chose, this family of faith through which the Messiah would be born.
And Lord, in your infinite wisdom and divine plan, we see that throughout the Old Testament, all things pointed to this young couple who would be the caretakers of Emmanuel, God with us. We pray this in Jesus' name.